Hi, my name is Deborah Kirkland and I'm a lead associate director here at the Wesley Foundation and I work with female directors in discipleship and I am so excited about talking with y'all today over this topic of truth and lies. Now I know I'm on camera, I'm not with you face to face, but I want you to know that I care about each one of you and I've been praying for you and I will continue to pray for you. I know today's a full day of just receiving all that God has for you and preparing you for discipleship this year. Today I'm excited about the topic of truth and lies because I think it affects all of us and I think it's very important as we pursue our walk with the Lord. So first I want to do is tell you about the goals of today's talk. The first one is we want to understand what is truth. The second one is that we want to understand and recognize what are lies. And then the third is that we would know what to do about when we have truth or lies so that we can take our next steps with God. This is really, really important in discipleship. In the end, we want to be taking our next steps with God. So, as you've probably already heard, in real talk, students will be sharing with you authentically about what is going on in their life. And during that time, as they're sharing, you'll get a glimpse into what's going on in their mind. This is really important. We value this because we think, we believe that how you think will affect how you live. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so he is. There's a great resource I would encourage you to get. It's called Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson and it will help you in discipleship this year if you want to use it, but one of the quotes that he has is that what you believe will determine how you live and how you behave. So we at Wesley believe that what goes on in your mind is really important, and today we want to equip you to minister into the thought life of students so that you can help them walk in truth. And why is this so important? We believe this is so important because ultimately what you believe will affect how you live out your destiny, the destiny that God has for your life. So I'm sure you've all heard the idea that there's a battlefield in the mind and that's where we want to begin when we talk about truth and lies is understanding what goes on in the mind and how do we win this war. The first thing that we need to understand is what is truth. That's a great question to begin to ask yourself, really, what is truth? According to Webster, truth is that which is real, true, and reality. And for us here at the Wesley Foundation, we believe that the compass, that the compass for our truth is the Bible. The Bible is our compass for truth. The Bible is our guide. Truth is reflected, reflective of the knowledge of God, the character of God, the heart of God, and His Word. All of these things line up with the Bible. I want to mention that we are tempted to use two different ideas as truth, but they are not truth. The first one is circumstance, the second one is feelings. With circumstances, we do not interpret truth based on circumstances. We interpret circumstances based on the truth of who God is. So circumstance is not our gauge for truth. The second is feelings. Feelings can either line up with truth or have to submit to truth, but really feelings are not our signals to what is true. They are just signals to what we are believing is true at the time. So again, sometimes they match up with truth and sometimes they submit to truth, but they're not our gauge for truth. 
Our gauge for truth is the Bible, his word, the heart of God, and the character of God. The second thing that we need to look at is what is a lie. Again, according to Webster, a lie is that which is untrue and deceptive, that which misleads us into a false reality. So in our thought life, we are either thinking on things that are based in truth or things that are based in lies, as we just looked at what is truth and what is lies. The next thing that we need to look at is where do these thoughts originate? And there's three different places that our thoughts can originate. The first one is God. By His Holy Spirit, He will release to you thoughts that line up with His heart, His character, and His word. The second place they can originate is from the enemy. According to John 8:44, the enemy is named the father of lies. It says that there is no truth in him, that he is a liar. The enemy wants to tempt you to entertain thoughts that don't line up with the heart of God, that don't line up with the knowledge of God, and don't line up with the character of God. Then there's also thoughts that come from yourself. And sometimes our thoughts that we have on our own do line up with God's way of thinking. And sometimes they line up with the enemy's way of thinking. But we don't need to spend too much time asking, is this my thought? Is this the enemy's thought? Where's this thought coming from? I think the better question to ask ourselves is, does this thought line up with truth according to the Bible? Does it match the heart of God? Does it match the character of God according to the Bible? If it does, that's great. We want to use Philippians 4.8 as our standard for what we believe is a healthy way of thinking. And I want to read it to you. Philippians 4.8 in the NA or S version says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The Passion Translation says this, So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable, admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. So that's our standard in Philippians 4.8. There's a problem, though, when our way of thinking does not line up with this standard, does not line up with the heart of God, the character of God, and reality. When it doesn't line up, that's when we need to deal with it. That's when it needs to be addressed. So the next question we would ask ourselves is how do we deal with it? And one of the most powerful verses that leads us in how to deal with these thoughts, how to do battle, is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. I'm going to read it to you in a couple of different translations because I think it gives the full picture of what God is trying to tell us here and what he's trying to equip us with. The first one is in the NIV. Starting, I'm actually going to start in verse 3 with this one. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. The NAS version says this, We have weapons divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And the last version I want to read to you is the Passion Translation. And it says this, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. So I love reading in different translations because I think it gives you a great picture and they have different perspectives of how it's translated. But I will say, I want you to look in all three of these translations. The one thing that they don't change is that you are to destroy everything that does not match the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is said in that way in all three translations. We are to take the things that don't match up with the knowledge of God captive, and we are to demolish them. See, the enemy's strategy is to introduce his thoughts and ideas into your mind and to deceive you into thinking they're your own. And he introduces subtle ideas that don't line up with the knowledge of God, the character of God in his words. These are thoughts that are really familiar and often comfortable to us that we just kind of agree with. It also says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we are to destroy speculations, which are assumptions, imaginations, what ifs. Remember, truth is based in reality. Well, these things that are in imaginations are not reality. But the problem is we respond as if they were. We respond as if they were true when we begin to entertain these things. God is with you in present reality. He's not with you in the places of non-reality. He has grace for you in the present reality. He's not with you in the imaginations and speculations and the assumptions that you're in. So we want to bring ourselves back to what is real and what is true, what is reality that God has for us to live in. We are not taking our next steps with God when we are living in places of non-reality. And I just want to mention for a second, there's a difference between imaginations that lead to bondage and then having your imagination under the lordship of Jesus Christ when you're dreaming with God. That is something very different. When we are dreaming with God and our mind is under his lordship, he wants to release to us his heart, his ideas, his thoughts, his possibilities, and all these things. But we're doing it under the lordship of Jesus. That's very different than just entertaining assumptions, imaginations, speculations, what ifs that lead to bondage. So I wanted to differentiate that for you and encourage one and discourage the other. The, the one that leads to bondage is where we want to avoid. So the point is this, if the enemy can get you to believe his lie, you will lose an element of control in your life. He has no authority or power except what you yield to him when you are deceived into believing his lies. So dealing with the enemy is not a power encounter. Dealing with the enemy is a truth encounter. And that's what we want to stand in when we confront him is truth. We often forget that we have a power of choice. So I want to encourage you today to remember your power of choice. You are always choosing to think on something. You can either be active in your thought life or passive in your thought life, but you're always choosing something. And I want you to begin to take responsibility for that today. 
We need to take the tempting thought captive when it first appears at the threshold of our mind. We don't want to let it in the door. We want to say, no, you can't dwell here. You have no right here. If you don't match up with the knowledge of God, the heart of God, the character of God, you can't come in. The problem happens when we fail to take that thought captive and we just passively let it in the door. So we forget we have a power of choice. We are always choosing to think on something. We can either be active in our thought life or passive in our thought life, but we're always choosing something. We have to take responsibility for that and not be passive any longer. We need to take the tempting thought captive when it comes to the threshold of our mind. Are we going to let it in the door or not? We want to take that tempting thought captive and say, no, if you don't line up with the knowledge of God, the character of God, the heart of God in his word, you can't dwell here. I will not let you in. You have to go. We will not entertain you. I will not entertain you. If we fail to take that thought captive, we open the door and let it in our minds. And that leads us back to the battle, which we've been talking about a little bit. Have you ever heard of the term foothold? Or stronghold. According to Ephesians 4.27, for foothold, it says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Leave no room or foothold for him. So the first one, a foothold, is really an open door, a position for further advance. Basically, we open the doors to bondage in our lives when we entertain temptations. The next one is stronghold. And we just read about stronghold in 2 Corinthians 10. Stronghold is another word for bondage in our thought life. If we continuously agree with a temptation, it soon becomes a life-controlling issue. So a stronghold is a fortified place. It's a thought pattern built up in your mind that you begin to live from. Basically, with foothold and strongholds, the enemy looks for cracked doors to get in to place a foothold. And then he builds a stronghold, one a place that you begin to live your life from. So what begins with an invitation, which is temptation, can end in surrender, which is bondage. So how does all this look practically speaking? In our own lives, in the lives that we're of the people we're discipling, I'd like to read you an example because I think it would help begin to give you an idea of what this all really looks like in our daily life. So let's say the enemy throws at you a temptation to compare yourself to your roommate. You entertain this temptation and your roommate wins the comparison. You begin to feel self-conscious and that your roommate is better than you are. The next thing you know, you agree more and more with the temptation to compare yourself and before you know it, you don't like yourself. You don't like your roommate. And then you begin to compare yourself to everyone else, which leads to withdrawal, from friendships and isolation because you believed a lie that you're not good enough. Do you see the process here? The temptation that led to a stronghold. The temptation got in the door and led to the stronghold. We get hooked into lies when we don't let the Lord be the source of our true identity and value. We are his children in whom he is well pleased. He loves us with an unconditional love, no strings attached. You see, in the end, the enemy wants nothing more than to distort your understanding of God and his unconditional love for you. He wants to cripple all of us from living in our true identity and purpose. And finally, he wants to keep us all in isolation, 
all from living in a healthy community that we can thrive in. Some examples of lies from the enemy that would have to do with your identity could look something like this. I'm defined by performance. I am what I do. I'm defined by popularity. I am what others think. I'm defined by possessions. I am what I have. Or I'm defined by attractiveness. I'm numbers on a scale. Those are some examples that could, you could come against in discipleship when it comes to identity. Some other lies that might get tossed at you when it comes to God's heart and his love for you would look something like this. God loves me if you fill in the blank. Or God loves me when fill in the blank. It's all conditional. I'm worthy of love when I perform well. If I fail, I'm unworthy. Basically, lies offer you a love that's conditional, security that can easily crumble, approval of man that wavers and really stifles who you were created to be, and then a paralyzing fear that says, if you mess up, you'll lose it all. And that is not what we want. That is not God's heart for us. So some other topics that could come up in discipleship that could be open doors to the enemy that he's trying to get through with lies are something like this. He could try to get in through lies of rejection, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition, sexual sins, and fears. With truth, you discover identity, security, and value. We find the confidence to live from that place instead of searching for it. When you choose to let God define you and have the final word about your worth, then you're able to live from that place of truth. As you surrender to his love, what he says and feels about you begins to be the source of who you are. So in wrapping up, I want to talk about a very important concept that summarizes what this whole topic that we've been talking about with truth and lies. And that is the idea of the power of agreement. I'm either agreeing with a lie or I'm agreeing with truth. A person gives the enemy power in his or her life when he or she agrees with anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the character of God, the heart of God, and his word. There's power in agreement that has to be dealt with. Second Corinthians says that we have to take captive and renew that thought to line up with the heart of God, the character of God in his word. We are not passive and friendly to the thought. We capture it and tear it down. We take it out. Remember what I said earlier, you have a choice. So how do we tear it down? The first step to break is to break that power of agreement through a prayer of repentance. Repentance is one of God's greatest gifts to us because it gets us back into right relationship with the Lord. It changes us and positions our hearts towards truth. Repentance is a gift and we want to use it. When we, I want to read kind of a little segment that kind of summarizes this. It says, when we pray through repentance, we simply confess the lie that we've agreed with and given power in our lives. We repent and ask the Lord to take back that ground in our lives that the lie has occupied and that it would now be filled with his truth. We also ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us that we may live by the power of his might. He wants to build a stronghold of truth in our minds to live from. Simply put, if you realize you have been agreeing with a lie, repent and ask the Lord to give you truth to renew your mind with. 
So this is what renewing of the mind begins to look like according to Romans 12, 2. You replace a lie with a truth, the truth that matches up with the heart of God, the character of God, and His Word. However, you don't just stop replacing a lie with the truth. You have to agree with that truth. You have to own that truth in such a way that it changes you. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John is talking, when he talks about truth here, he's talking about an experiential knowledge. So you see, you can't just stop at re replacing the thought. You have to apply truth to your situation, the situation that you're in. You can't experience the benefit of truth until you use it. You, you can say something like this, because this is true, that means I'm going to respond in this way, a way that, that lines up with the heart of God, the knowledge of God, and the character of God. You can't just put a thought in your mind and expect God to do it. You have to partner with Him. Choosing truth means applying truth to your situation. It's a partnership. I recently heard a quote that said, God's not responsible for your full potential. You're responsible for your full potential. So God's given us tools, but we have to partner with Him. We have to use them. So when it comes to truth, we don't stop at replacing. We have to own it in such a way that it changes us and that we can experience the benefit of truth. So in discipleship, this is a great next step to talk about. If this is true, what does that mean about how I'm going to respond in the situation that I am? That, I, that I'm in. So in closing, I want to go back to the roommate situation, the example that we used earlier, back to what it looks like to compare or what to do when you're tempted to compare. When the temptation comes to compare ourselves to our roommate, we take that thought captive, we are active in our thought life, and we say, no, I will not entertain you. I will not compare myself and decide who is better than the other. The truth is we are both children of God. The truth is we are both uniquely created with gifts and talents and we both have value. Difference does not equal a threat. Difference doesn't equal wrong. So I will celebrate myself and I will celebrate my roommate. And I will love both. I will love myself. I will love my roommate. And then I'm free to enjoy the identity that God has given me, the love that he has for me, and the relationship that he wants to give me and bless me with in community. As I operate in these truths, then I get to begin to live in the freedom of these truths. So I want to end by reading Romans 12, 2 to you. It's really powerful. The first translation from the NAS says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then the message says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to our culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So living in truth opens the door for us to take our next steps with God. And ultimately, living in truth 
opens the door for us to walk in the destiny that God has for our lives. I hope you all have a great day today, and thank you so much for letting me share with you. I can't wait to see you at some point this year. Thank you.